And that song made me brave. I felt like I could sing like no one else. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, band. Okay, I got a few things. Let me get all set up. Awesome. Okay, hi, good morning. So back to school, right? Everyone's getting in that fall rhythm. And I feel like at every single thing I've been to over the past couple of weeks, it's how's your summer been? What'd you do? How was it? Where'd you go? And for our family, the thing that I have been sharing with people, our highlight was our family trip to Trail West. Trail West is Young Life's family camp in Buena Vista, Colorado. If you're familiar with Young Life, it's a ministry to middle schoolers and high schoolers, and they have camps all throughout the United States, really all throughout the world. But there's one camp that is designed specifically for families, and that's Trail West. And so about 40 families go every week in the summer, and five families came together. The Risings were with us. There was a couple other Tampa families, and we got to go, and everything is for families. You stay in a lodge together as a family. You eat dinner around a round table as a family. You grow in your faith in Jesus together as a family, and then you go on adventures. If you ask my kids what was their favorite, they have a hard time deciding between whitewater rafting and horseback riding, but they typically land on the ropes course. So I have a picture of my daughter, Maggie, she's on the right, my son Will, and my nephew Quinn as they're getting ready to go on the ropes course, which ends with the zip line. And my husband Matt and I also harnessed up, suited up to go on the zip line and ropes course. It's important for you to know that I've probably been on like 20 ropes course and zip lines in my lifetime, but as I was climbing up, to the tip of top of the treetops, I realized it had been about 12 years since I had done it. And in those 12 years, I had become a giant chicken. <laughs> and so the ropes course is uh, two courses. It runs parallel. So uh, the kids have to have a partner. So Will and Quinn were going to go together as partners. Matt was going to go in the middle in case anybody needed help. And then Maggie and I were going to be partners bringing up the rear. And as I got up to the top of the platform, Will and Quinn have already started making their way. There are Maggie and Matt. And I said, you know what? Y'all go. Y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch. And Matt looked at me and he said, absolutely not. Like, you are not backing out. You are doing this. So I said to Maggie, this is going to be great. We're going to have a really good time. I'm so excited to be here with you. So off, off Matt goes. And here I go across the ropes course. And you know, Young Life knows what they're doing because it's like this crazy trust exercise in Jesus. You know, like I have to depend on him. Like the whole thing is like this complete analogy. And the whole time I'm just thinking, just put one foot in front of the other. Just go one step at a time. And in between each of the challenges was a platform whew, that you could stand on and catch your breath, wait for the person in front of you to complete that challenge, and then go ahead. Well, after I've completed the first challenge, I'm on that platform, and I look back, and my friend Elise and her daughter Amelia are up there. Elise has no color in her face. <laughs> and I, turn, I see her turn to Amelia, this is going to be fun. We have a good time. So at least I wasn't alone in that. Well, we get to the end, and then you have to go on a zip line. So Will and Quinn go on the zip line. We've made it to the platform, and I'm, like, done with my fake bravery. And I was like, Matt, I can't do the zip line with Maggie. You've got to at least do that part. So Matt and Maggie go on the zip line, and then it's my turn to go. And this sweet college boy, he was, like, you know, changing shifts for the ropes course. He was like, 
I'll go down with you. I said, thank you so much. I'm having such a hard time. For your viewing pleasure, here I am going down the line. Ah! She touch it? No. Nope. Hey guys. Hey. Will came up to me and with all the sincerity in the world, he said, Mama, I've never seen you be so adventurous before. <laughs> so thank you, Will. I was pretty proud of myself. Well, I am so excited to kick off our new sermon series called One at a Time. Very similar to my one step at a time across the ropes course. We're going to be kicking around this whole idea that Jesus is a one at a time ministry kind of guy. If you've got a camera with a zoom lens, it's almost as if Jesus takes his camera and focuses and turns it around so that everything blurs and he zooms in on the one in front of him, the one person, the one moment, the one miracle, the one healing. He's a one at a time kind of guy. And we have a book that we're using to kind of frame out this sermon series called One at a Time by Kyle Eidelman. We have 20 copies. You can grab yours today. It's $10. You can Venmo. You can drop it in the basket. If you just want to follow along, we just wanted to make that available to y'all because it's a pretty cool sermon series. So we're going to start today with the very first One at a Time gospel story, and it comes to us from Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So it tells us that Jesus is surrounded by this crowd, and yet immediately, whew, Jesus zooms in on the one. And in this case, it's a man named Jairus, a desperate man. You can imagine that at this point, he has probably done everything, every treatment, every doctor, every medication, and nothing is working, and she's dying, and he thinks, I've got one last hope, and it is to go to Jesus, and it is to beg him. It is to plead with him, please come and heal my little girl. I love how he uses the word little. It just shows his love for his daughter. And so what does Jesus do? He says, okay. And off they go together. And I imagine the compassion in Jesus's eyes as he's looking at this man. I imagine that he helped him up off the ground. Maybe he's studying him. Maybe he's got his arm around Jairus and off they go together side by side, this one at a time moment. And yet, the moment comes to an abrupt halt, an interruption. The story continues in verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
enter the second desperate person. Sorry, go back if you don't mind. Enter the second desperate person into the picture. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Okay, so think about it with Jewish cleanliness laws. She would have been completely removed and isolated from her family. If she's a daughter, she can't live with her mom and dad anymore. And they've probably rejected her because the theory is either she sinned or we've sinned that she's got this bleeding condition. So we're going to shun her and we're going to outcast her and she's going to live alone for 12 years. What if she's a mom? What if she can't live with her husband and her children anymore? Imagine she's been bleeding out physically. She's been bleeding out money financially. And she's been bleeding emotionally for all this time. She is just as hungry and desperate for healing. Okay, keep, keep going, thanks. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Maybe, maybe if I just touch his cloak, nothing's worked. No treatment has worked, and this is my only hope. And so she stays anonymous, right? She's in that crowd. No one even knows she's there. She thinks, I can just slip through, and I can touch his cloak. I can heal myself almost. I can do this on my own. But see, Jesus never wants us to stay anonymous. And Jesus never wants us to take problems into our own hands. Because at once, Jesus realizes what has happened to him. Continuing the story. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Who had been looking for her? Who in 12 years had chased after her, pursued her, been intentional with her? Who had kept looking for her? Hadn't everyone left? Hadn't everyone deserted her? Hadn't everyone kicked her out? Hadn't everyone pushed her away? And yet Jesus kept looking for her. Do you feel isolated? Do you feel alone? Do you not share your heart with others because you don't think people really care? Do you not share what's going on in your life because you've been burned before? Would you rather just stay anonymous? When you have problems arise, do you hope you can just go up and touch Jesus' cloak and maybe he won't even notice you? But see, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is never going to let you stay anonymous. And Jesus is going to always keep looking for you and always chase after you because of his enormous, great love for you. I don't know who in the room needs to hear it, but Jesus is going to keep looking for you. If you need to be pursued and initiated with and loved, Jesus is the one who's going to do it. So what happens when someone keeps looking? Well, you're going to be found eventually. And we find that out with the woman in the next verse. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him, the whole truth. She knew she couldn't go unnoticed. She knew that she could tell him the whole truth. 
I always imagine this conversation taking place on the ground. You know, he's gone, she's gone up and she's touched his cloak, so she's down, and I imagine she's still down, and he turns around, and then he goes down on a knee, and he locks eyes with her, and he says, tell me your whole story, 12 years of it. And so she does, and she responds, and she pours her heart out to him. Who allows you to tell the whole truth? Who gets eye to eye with you, makes you feel safe, makes you feel known, maybe cocks their head and says, how are you? I have a lot of people in my life who do that, but I want to introduce you to my three college roommates who do this a lot in my life and have been doing it for decades. So this is Sally in the black hat, and then Kimmy, myself, and Jordan. We went to Furman University. Jordan was the very first person I met, and my friend, all four years, we were roommates for three of them. And then our senior year, we lived with Sally and Kimmy in apartment J, room 306. This is a picture of us last year when we went back to Furman, and we took a picture outside of it. And that year, we called ourselves J306, and it stuck. We are still calling each other, and people refer to us as J306. And I talk to these women on the phone regularly, individually. We, we did a group FaceTime last week. But every single year, we always have one week in a year where we get away together. And there's just something about friends who you don't get to see often that when you're together, it's like, okay, let's get down to business. Like, cut through the, you know, everything else. Let's talk about what's really going on. So the last time we were together was in June in Fairhope, Alabama, and we sat out on the wharf, and we had this moment where we were able to tell each other our whole truth. No one was rushed. Everyone felt heard. Every single woman got the chance to say what was really going on inside of her. And between the four of us, we've got a lot going on. One has a really sick parent. One has a child with a new diagnosis. One is adjusting to life in a new city. One is building a house. One has made a drastic change in their child's education. These big, thick life things. But we listen and we tell the whole truth. And something about in the telling of the truth comes the freedom. And the bearing of our soul to each other comes the healing. And so for the bleeding woman, the same thing happened to her when she told Jesus her whole truth. We found out, find out in verse 34 that he says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Isn't it so cool that he called her daughter? You know, he could have said, Dear woman. He could have said, You have beautiful faith. But see, this woman hadn't been a daughter for 12 years. She had been rejected by her family. And so Jesus reconciles her as a daughter. You see, she was healed physically the moment she touched his cloak. But perhaps it was in the conversation with Jesus. Perhaps it was in the ability for her to tell him the whole truth. Perhaps it was in that zoomed in one at a time moment when he kept looking for her the healing and the peace and the freedom of her soul came along. And see, Jesus has called us, if we are his followers, to do ministry the same way that he does it. We are to be one at a time people. We are to keep looking, to chase after the one. 
See, when Jordan and Kimmy and Sally, as followers of Jesus, allow me to tell the whole truth, I experience that same peace and freedom. And the reason why that they're able to do it is because as followers of Jesus, they have been infused with the Holy Spirit. They have been empowered to be conduits of Jesus to me. Jesus says as much to his disciples in John chapter 16. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come, the Holy Spirit, the helper. There's a bunch of translations of that. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He would tell you about the future. Sometimes I think we read these stories in the gospel and we're like, well, of course she was healed. She touched the literal cloak of Jesus. Or, well, of course she felt peace and freedom. She was eye to eye with Jesus himself telling the whole truth, the whole story. But healing and peace and freedom didn't go away after Jesus' death and resurrection. Through prayer, we can still tell Jesus our whole story. And through prayer, we can still receive that healing. And through God's word, Jesus' words to us jump off the pages as he speaks to us. And through fellow believers, we can experience the transformation and the healing and the grace that Jesus intended. If you're hiding, if you've got something burning inside of your heart, if you've been holding in your truth, I pray that the story of the bleeding woman would nudge you to tell someone. Tell me. I'd be honored. Tell Fitz. Tell Kathy. Tell your spouse. Tell a friend. Don't drown in it. There are too many people in this room who love you who would love to know your story. Emmy said as much during her welcome. We would love to know your whole truth, your whole story. Okay, so at this point, I feel like we could end. Did anybody remember about Jairus? Like, we had moved on. But can you imagine what's going through Jairus' head right now? Like, they were making their way to go rescue his little girl, and then all of a sudden, Jesus gets completely sidetracked and interrupted. If I'm Jairus, I'm going crazy right now. I thought we were going to go back to the house. I thought you were going to come with me. I thought we were going to go heal my daughter. And you've been sitting here talking to this woman. It's like she's telling you her whole life story or something. You've been there for so long. Like chaos, anxiety, what is happening? And then this happens. The synagogue leader, Jairus, someone comes to him. Next slide. Mark, yep, there we go. Thank you. While Jesus was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Phew. Have you ever felt like your story was over? Have you ever felt like the story had ended? I know Jairus did in this moment. Doesn't he care about me? I thought he was going to help me. I thought there was a plan. Have you ever asked those same questions that Jairus is asking right now? Well, he helped her. He helped them. Why isn't he helping in my circumstance right now? But like the zoom lens and the one-at-a-time kind of person that Jesus is, he does not let Jairus go down that spin cycle of fear. So what does he do? Next slide, please. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Phew, locks in on Jairus. And he said, stay with me. 
Don't slip away in the crowd, Jairus. Don't run away in fear. I am with you. We're in this together. Okay, so before I continue the story, I just have to be honest and raw, and I'm kind of nervous to do this, but part of me doesn't like to finish this story. Part of me actually wants to forfeit the miracle because I have too many friends who don't get the miracle that Jairus is about to get. See, my, my friend Alexa, her daughter Taylor, didn't get the miracle, and Taylor died. And our friend Dustin, who was our mentor, he got in a bike accident, and he didn't get the miracle, and he died, leaving a widow and three children. I know there's people in this room who have the same story, of you didn't get the miracle. And so I want to forfeit this miracle, because not everyone else gets it. You see, God didn't design death. God did not design death. When God created Adam and Eve to live forever with him in relationship in the garden. Live forever. That's God's design. So if we were not designed for death, and if we were designed to live forever, then life itself is as much an expectation for us than oxygen and water. We were made for it. But when we walked away from God's design and when sin entered this world, whenever you walk away from God's life, it always leads to death. And so death entered into this world. But God, if death doesn't sit well with us, death certainly doesn't sit well with God. And so he sent the antidote. And he sent his son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not die, but live forever. And that's the promise. And that's the hope. And I don't know why some people get the miracle here on earth and why other people get the miracle in eternity. I don't know how that works out. And so I just had to say it. Because I know for some of you, that is your reality right now. I think about Sarah with her mom and dad both having cancer right now. We pray for the miracle, but I don't know how that story is going to end. I don't know how your story is going to end. But the resurrection of Jesus is the promise and the assurance and the hope that we will live forever in eternity with Jesus. That is the hope that we cling to. And the story of Jairus' daughter is the miracle that God is able on this earth. God is able. So let's not forfeit the miracle. Let's read it. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. See, death doesn't have the final say. Not for this 12-year-old little girl, not for Alexa, not for Dustin, not for the person on your mind this morning. Jesus has the final say. And there is no part of your story that God can't resurrect. God took a 12-year-old little girl who was dying, and he brought her back to life. And Jesus took a 12-year-old woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, dying in her soul, and brought her back to life. And so Jesus can take your story, and he can bring it back to life. 
So I had to walk straight into it because this is one of those things that I think every single one of us will struggle with and question and ask until we're with Jesus together in eternity. Wherever the cracks are in your heart, Jesus was, is going to keep looking. He's going to focus on you, the one, and he's going to love you in a way that he knows how to love you best. I'll end with this. Five of the greatest years of my life were spent as the student ministry director here at First Pres. I was Emmy back in the day. And uh, in 2010, I got to take a group of my girls to Winter Windy Gap, uh, a Young Life camp up in North Carolina. And it's always fun to take kids to camp because you get away from the craziness of normal life and you have just this devoted time to grow in relationships with with each other and with Jesus. And throughout the week, the camp speaker presents the gospel. And at the end, when he invites students to follow Jesus, he then says there are three meetings you can go to based on this week. You can choose to go to the meeting that says, for the very first time, I decided to follow Jesus this week. You could go to the follow-up meeting that said, I actually was already following Jesus before I came to camp. And then there was the meeting that was, I still have questions. So after he said the invitation, all the kids at camp stand up, and I watched as the majority of my girls shuffled off to, I was already following Jesus before I came to camp. And then I saw the one. I saw one of my girls on her own walk towards the meeting that said, I still have questions. And I was so proud of her in that moment. It would have been so easy for her to go with the crowd, but it showed me how mature she was and how seriously she was taking it that she went to the meeting. And so I locked in on the one and I went with her. And after the meeting where they, the camp speaker spoke into the questions, she and I went and sat on a rocking chairs outside the dining hall. And she always says it to me that that day she dumped her doubts on me. And by the power of the Holy Spirit infused inside of me, I got to have a one at a time conversation with her where I really just listened more than anything. That's how Jesus intended us for us to do this life, is these one-at-a-time moments. And for her, her story was a series of these one-at-a-time moments, and I just got to be a part of that one. She's now 28 years old, a follower of Jesus, and she and her husband are leaders within their local church because that's just God's goodness. We have a job to do. It's to keep looking for people. It's to chase after the one. Maybe it's someone in this room right around you. Maybe it's someone in your very own household, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. But Jesus has asked us to join him in his one-at-a-time one mission. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful um, that you kept looking for me, that you chased after me and that you pursued me and that you gave me the opportunity for me to tell you the whole truth and the whole story. Lord, thank you that we get to do the same for others. And I pray right now in this room for the one. I pray for the one, Lord, who has never experienced your healing and your peace and your freedom. And Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they would choose to turn towards you, Lord, and tell you their whole truth and put their trust and their life in you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.